Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is Happiness Solved with America's Happiness Coach, Sandy Scarlatta. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I am so thrilled you're here. Happiness Solved is dedicated to giving you content that is empowering, motivational, inspirational, and of course, a dose of happiness. It's my way to give back to the world and share other people's stories. This thing called life can be challenging, and my guests share their amazing stories, wisdom, and life lessons that demonstrate anyone can choose happiness. You see, happiness is a journey, not a destination. I am Sandy Scarlatta, America's happiness coach, author of Happiness Solved. I'm also a retired U.S. national and international figure skating coach. I have a gold medal in ice dancing. I've been a certified life coach since 2004, and I've been inspiring others to shift their mindset and choose happiness for over 20 years. I am so excited to share that my next book is coming out soon. I am a co-author in the fastest growing personal development book series in the world with Jim Lutz and Jim Britt. The really cool thing is that the foreword was written by the one and only Les Brown, and for my copies, I'm on the cover with him. If you would like a free copy when it's available, email me at sandy at sandyscarlotta.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I am so grateful for you. Hello, Adam. How are you today? It's so great to have you on my podcast. Thank you, Sandy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, of course, of course. So now tell me where you live right now. So right now I'm living on the island of Bali, which is in Indonesia, literally on the other side of the world from you. Wow. Wow. What time is it there? So it's now just after 10 p.m. here. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for staying up so late. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. <laughs> Actually, oh it's, usually, it's usually very quiet at this time of the day. Occasionally, there might be a background sound of a gecko, but I'm hoping that we'll be spared that and we'll get a nice clean recording. Well, they just finished mowing my lawn. So <laughs> <laughs> I sat down at my computer and I was, I was like, oh, great. They're mowing the lawn. Okay. Uh, now I'm grateful that I, that somebody is mowing the lawn for me, but it's like, okay, but let's not get that noise on my podcast. <laughs> okay. So, so we'll take the, we'll take the geckos then. <laughs> we'll take the geckos. Absolutely. All right. So you've got a very interesting story and I want to talk about your book, 19 19 Insights Learned from a 19-Year-Old with Cancer. Um, this sounds like a very heartbreaking story. So why don't you just go ahead and tell me about, you know, start from the beginning. And um, yeah, I, I, I'd love to, to share with the audience your, your story and the lessons that you've learned. 
Wow. Well, thank you, Sandy. And you're right. Um, at the heart of it, this is a tragedy. You know, I lost my 19-year-old son, Hayden, to a very aggressive brain cancer. And for about nine and a half months, we were in and out of hospitals uh, doing surgery and then chemo and radiation and then a clinical trial in New York as a sort of Hail Mary attempt at a final chance of healing. Um, and Hayden didn't make it. He passed away one week before his 20th birthday back in 2020. Oh my gosh. I am so, so, so sorry for your loss that it's just, thank you. I have a 22, my son turns 22 in two weeks. So it's, Ouch. it's yeah. unimaginable. Good. Well, it was heartbreaking for, a, for the whole family, my wife, Karen and I, and of course, Hayden's siblings. So why write a book about a tragedy? Who would ever want to read that and make life even more difficult, you know, and more tragic than for many of us already it is? So here's the interesting thing, is that this is a book that is about a struggle, is about adversity, but in it there are just so many gems of beauty and I believe insights even joy. You know, Hayden was an extraordinary 19-year-old. He, he had very little fear of death. And so being on a journey with him was inspiring, truly inspiring. And so I thought it would be important to share that. Not, you know, for people who happen to have cancer or have children with cancer or friends or who are struggling, but because I think it's important to find meaning and purpose in any adversity, whatever it is that we're facing. So this book actually is really a sort of, it's an approach book, you know, how to approach adversity. And it's a survival book, even though it may seem that it's not a story of survival. Um, actually, in our very first sort of public event to sort of, you know, launch the book, somebody stood up and said from the audience, I've just read your book, and this is a survival book. And I just thought, what an extraordinary irony that here we are offering a book to the market that is about hope and faith and survival. And even in the worst tragedy of losing a child, actually finding that there is meaning and purpose and even joy. So that's, that's the purpose of the book, you know, that it helps us live our lives more fully, more meaningfully, more purposefully, and even more joyfully. Mm. That's it's a tough pill to swallow. Um, yeah. Because as you know, we don't know what we don't know, right? Right. And right. no parent wants to know what it feels like to have lost their child. Yeah. And my brother, my older brother died tragically. He fell out of a window um, and died while serving in the U.S. Army in Germany. Um, and he was 19 years old. Oh, Sandy, you know, I, I, when I looked at on Amazon and I looked at Happiness Solved, you know, Climbing 100 Steps, your book, and I read about your older brother, I just wondered, because it wasn't written in the synopsis, how old he was. And I just thought to myself, I wonder if he was also 19. 
And when you just said that now, I thought we were meant to have this conversation. Yeah. How, no how extraordinary. How extraordinary. And how interesting that you have found that facing death has been the underlying theme of your life and the yeah. catalyst for your search for how to maintain peace and happiness. So here we are actually yeah. in, in a similar boat. Yeah. And here's the thing. And it's like, I'm going to try not to break down crying because it's, it's hard to talk about, you know, yeah. but um, it wasn't until my son was born and I'll never forget. I was holding him and he'd only been born. He, he had been born 10 minutes, 10 minutes earlier. And I called my mom when I went into labor in the middle of the night and, and she lived three hours away and she's like, we're on our way. And she walked in the door and right when he had been on this planet for 10 minutes. And when I looked at her and the joy that she had on her face, mm. it wasn't until that second that I had just a tiny, tiny, tiny insight as to what that may have felt like for her. Because as you know, when you're, when you have a child that is born, the love that you feel, especially your first one, and, and he, my son ended up being, he's my only child. The amount of love that you feel is so overwhelming. It's like nothing you've ever felt in your entire life. Yeah. But at the same time, the fear is real. Mm -hmm. And when I saw my mother, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, like, because because when I lost my brother, I was 12 years old and he was 19, I kind of lost my mom too, you know? Yeah, sure. I mean, she was always there for me, but she kind of wasn't there too, you know? And that's okay. You know, I never held it against her because like I, like I said in the beginning, like we don't know what we don't know. Um, so, you know, my heart just goes out to you. And like any other parent out there, it would be your worst nightmare to lose your yeah. child. And so... Um, to just, uh, so one question I have is how healing was this for you to write this book? Like, did, did that help so give you some healing. sort of peace? Yeah. Right. Definitely. 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 You know, for me, it was my therapy and it was a way I could process, you know, all that was going on in my mind and in my heart. And, you know, interestingly, I wrote this book for the most part, in the same room where Hayden had passed away. You know, it was in our cottage by the lake in Canada. Um, when Hayden was told in New York that the doctors didn't feel it was fair to subject his body to any more, you know, through the high-dose chemotherapy and stem cell rescue, and they said, look, your cancer is spreading, and it just doesn't make sense to us that you would want to go through with continued treatment. It's not going to, to do anything. And we would lovingly suggest that maybe you take this time to be with your family and move into the palliative stage of your journey. So from that moment, we had eight weeks with Hayden when we knew that the curative route had ended and we were now in the palliative stage of his life. And he was 19 um, he was almost 20 when he actually passed away. Um, and here he was. We, we chose as a family that we would end 
we would have those eight weeks together. Of course, we didn't know it was eight weeks. It could have been many more weeks. It could have been less. But we were going to spend that time as a family in our home just north of Ottawa. That was Hayden's wish. He had very positive associations with that home. And that's where he passed away, in our living room, at home, in a sort of home hospice situation, surrounded by family. And you know, although it was very sad to lose Hayden, um, and we love him dearly, it was actually a very positive experience to be with family and to be together and to be able to sit beside him and, you know, say prayers or look out through the window at the lake and just have really quality time together. You know, I think that was very special. And therefore, it was in that room that I did the writing for this book. Um, not immediately. I needed some time to just um, come to terms with what had happened. And so probably about two months after Hayden passed away, I started writing. But it was in that room. And there were times when I was just wailing. You know, I was tears were just flowing from from down my cheeks. And that was important to process that, to allow that pain to come out. Um, and there were times when I jumped up with such joy because I just a flash of inspiration or a moment, a recollection of such joy um, came to me. And I, I'd write it down. And I thought, Hayden would really want that, you know, and I felt he was with me. And, you know, I know he'd passed away, but his spirit was so alive in my heart that in many ways I felt, yes, it was me writing this book, but in, in many other ways, it was we who were writing this book. You know, I really felt Hayden's presence and I called on his spirit and I, I begged for whatever that world is, that spirit world beyond this world, that I could feel close to it and could feel supported. And I really did. I really tangibly felt this love and closeness with my son. So writing the book was both painful and full of sorrow and also full of happiness. Mm, wow, beautifully so, said. And I've just finished well, reading a book by Susan Cain called Bittersweet. And it's a beautiful book, very profound, that looks at how sorrow and joy actually can go together and how often they do go together. You can't just have a life of sorrow. It's not possible. And you can't just have a life of joy. <laughs> That's also not possible. You know, exactly. fr from sorrow, there will be joy. We just have to be patient. It will happen. And from joy, there will be tests. There will be sorrow, sometimes very deep sorrow. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the whole dichotomy of being human is, yes. is we've got the, you can't have light without darkness. You can't have that's happy right. without sorrow. You know, we yeah. have to experience the full realm of emotions. Yeah. And, and actually when and you, when you get a bright, when, when the light is really bright, often that's where the shadow is darkest, Right. Yeah. So yeah. we should be ready for that and accept that that's the lot of a human being, you know. And if we just want to live in the sort of middle ground of gray, we will miss out. We will miss out on the light and we will miss out on the darkness that helps us appreciate the light. 
You know, exactly. and I think that sort of gray area, the sort of middle ground where we live life from a sofa, there's not a lot of growth there. And I, you know, Sandy, I see things that you've written about how comfort is actually an enemy. You know, comfort prevents growth so often. And that's, that's a real wake up call, I think, for so many of us. And also a comfort for those of us who are going through adversity is to know that actually, this means growth. This means that I'm growing. You know, there's no such thing as growth without pain. Anywhere in nature, like, you know, the when the seed breaks open, it becomes the oak tree eventually. But if it never breaks open, there'll never be an oak tree. You know, it that's has right. to break apart. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's our purpose in this life is to continually grow. Um, yes. And as we grow you just become closer to your creator, whatever you believe in, you know, whether mm -hmm. it's, you know, whatever religious beliefs you have, whatever, you know, whether it's you just believe in the universe, you believe in God, you believe in Allah, you know, whatever it is, Buddha, you know, just name any of them. It doesn't matter. But no. you get closer because it raises that spirituality because you you've grown from that experience and mm -hmm. and you're creating that resilience right because really yes. that's what life is about is being resilient yeah. and being able to bounce back yeah. and you know part of what you were just talking about is that was your grieving process and it sounds like this book was also a way to grieve which we have to do we have to grieve and i think so often you know it's uncomfortable to grieve but, you know, mm -hmm. we have to deal with those things and grieve so that you can get to the other side and appreciate the loss that you just, you know, had. Yes. You know, the interesting thing, 19, the book that I wrote, is not a grief book, right? It's a book about approaching death. And I maybe my, maybe my next book will be a grief book because I've learned a lot about grief. But, you know, there is a beautiful saying that, you know, grief is just love that has nowhere to go. And when you feel that when you feel that lump in your throat or that heaviness in your chest or that almost constriction of your breath, it's the love that just it's it kind of hasn't got an outlet and that's grief and it's painful and it's awful. But once you give it a place to go, you do something, get out, you know, do a service project and plant a tree in the name of the person that we are missing so terribly or write a book, you know, in their honor or compose music or go and serve the underprivileged in some way in their name. Then all of a sudden grief starts to dissipate because you're doing something. I think the most painful part of grief is just sitting with it and not knowing what to do. <laughs> that sort of paralysis of grief is awful for so many people. But if we do something, especially doing something in the name of our loved ones, then it can be very releasing and very fulfilling, actually. Yeah. So let's talk about some of these lessons. We don't have time to, and, and to go through all 19, and, and I want people to purchase your book. So if you were able to pick one or two lessons that you feel like are the most important things that you want somebody to hear out there that could be going through something similar or just anybody in general, 
like what would what would one or two of those lessons be? Wow. Well, there is a lesson on happiness, right? And I think yeah. for this for this podcast, that's probably entirely appropriate. Yes. Um, <laughs> and other some of the other lessons, just to sort of whet the appetite of your listeners, you know, include authenticity and acceptance, faith, fear, um, trust. But happiness is an important lesson, I think, especially in the light of what you're doing, Sandy, to, to, to let people find happiness, you know, and maintain happiness. Where does it come from? And especially in the face of adversity, how can you possibly be happy? Um, I think that's an important chapter, perhaps. And it's, um, it's a chapter that I think seems to me very suited to Hayden because he was such a joyful human being. You know, since he was at kindergarten, he had this infectious laugh. His laughter would just ring through the corridors of his kindergarten. And people always knew it was Hayden. He just had this lovely laugh and he had a beautiful smile. I, he Rarely was he not smiling. Even when he had cancer, he was lying in his hospital bed, suffering. For sure he was physically suffering, but he would smile. When, when, when nurses or doctors would walk into the room, they would get this radiant smile and they would look at me and think, this guy has cancer. <laughs> you know, how yeah. does he do it? How yeah. does he do it? You know, and in fact, in that kindergarten where Hayden went to school in Beijing, in China, on the, on the wall, the entrance wall, where every single one of these children walked in every day was a quotation. It said, you live to do good and to bring happiness to others. So I think Hayden got that and he, that was his life. And actually when he passed away, he left a will. Um, I don't know many 19 year olds who write a will, but interestingly, Hayden's will started with these words. He said, live a life filled with joy and try to consciously consider how to bring joy to the lives of those around you as well. Oh, what is that extraordinary? Soul. Yeah, I mean, really, for somebody with cancer and going through, going through hell, how do you live in heaven at the same time? You know, that was him. Yeah. He was joyful and you know, right at the end of his life, literally in the last few weeks, he had the wisdom and the foresight to write a letter to his younger brother. His younger brother was 14 and would spend hours every day sitting beside Hayden's bed, you know, often massaging his feet or reading prayers. And the love between these two is palpable, beautiful. And I think Hayden must have, must have known that if he was going to pass away, it would be devastating to Keon. So he wrote Keon a letter, and that letter is in the chapter on faith. Maybe I could just read a little bit. I don't know if you'll um, oh, be able to share it. Oh, I would love that. It, but, that yeah. would be great. Absolutely. His last letter, and in his own words, to his younger brother, he says, If you're reading this, it means I've probably passed away, despite everyone's best efforts to keep me in good health. I want you to know that that's okay. We all gave it our best shot, and ultimately, whatever happens is as God wills it. Please don't feel sad on my behalf. 
For I am in a better place, a place where evil doesn't exist, a place of pure love and joy. Of this I am certain. And then he continues, It may not make sense why there is suffering in the world and why things like this happen. I often wondered the same thing and never quite understood it until these past few weeks. Suffering brings us closer to God and can make us realize things that we had never understood before. I truly don't think I've ever felt as much deep joy and happiness as I have over the past few weeks. I've felt closer to God, closer to our family, and, wait for this, I've had hope for a better world, one that is united, joyous, beautiful, and flourishing. I may never have felt this if not for my cancer and coming so close to death. So even though it may seem like a terrible thing from the outside, it has also brought about many positives. I love you so much, Hayden. Wow. Oh. Yeah, so the world is mysterious and I think my goodness, life is mysterious. And you know, I think death is not separate from life. It's just another another transition, as we talked at the beginning about birth and how you talked so beautifully about your son's birth. And I witnessed Hayden's birth. And those are awe-inspiring, extraordinary moments of life. And death, too, I think, is awe-inspiring. And in some ways majestic, mysterious, powerful, and full of lessons. You know, lessons about living more purposefully and treasuring every breath we have, not wasting it or missing the opportunities that are presented to us. That's right. That's right. Because we all have the present moment right here and now. And yeah. every second of every day, we have a choice. That's right. And we can experience pain along with pleasure and sadness along with being happy. Mm. And I think that what you're, a lot, some of the lessons, and I'm just making an assumption here, is that so often when we're sitting in our pain, we feel maybe guilty. Mm -hmm. You know, this happened. How can I possibly experience any happiness? And we don't allow that happiness to come into our life. But here's yeah. the thing, you know, spend time every day feeling the pain. And then, yeah. okay, let's mm -hmm. transition. And, and you can experience both at the same time. It's just... Life is so short that we don't want to spend too much time sitting in the pain, you know? Yeah. And I think that, that books like this explain that, that yes, you can have both. And yeah. while what you went through, you know, was painful and, and horrible. And, and when I say pain, you know, I'm talking physical pain, emotional pain, you know, pain is pain. Each of us experiences mm -hmm. pain and you can't say one pain is worse than the other pain, right? Because right. we don't know what we don't know. But when you're experiencing pain, like acknowledge it and then move on. 
yes. because the pain is going to keep coming back, right? Mm -hmm. My brother died September 30th, 1978. Okay, I, mm -hmm. over 40 years ago. And the pain's still there. It surfaced when you were talking in the beginning and I became overwhelmed with emotion and that's okay, you know? Because I'm, yeah. it's something that you're always, it's always going to be there. Yes. And we Very, have to make that choice. Mm -hmm. So interesting when you talk about pain like that, that, you know, when we sit with pain and we think something's wrong, you know, I'm in pain, there's something wrong. It's not meant to be like this. Well, hang on, who says that? Because I don't think pain is always wrong. Sometimes it's actually teaching us a lesson and there's, there's a wake-up call in that pain, whether it's an emotional pain or a physical pain. And it's not that it's wrong and we've, we've done something wrong or it's, it's not meant to be like this. It is what it is. And if we accept it and try and understand it and work with it, work with it and work through it, we can grow. And I think this idea of growth that you've mentioned is really a tonic, especially to Western societies where often we have this framework of pleasure being the purpose. You know, we want to be as happy as we can, pleasure-seeking society. We do whatever we can to bring ourselves pleasure. And so, of course, in that framework, pain is wrong. It doesn't fit, right? It's the worst thing that can happen. And yet, if you go sometimes to Eastern societies like, like China, where Hayden grew up, Pain is seen to be part of life, and the framework is not a pleasure-seeking framework, but a growth-seeking framework. And if the purpose of life is to grow, well, when there is pleasure, great. When there is pain, great. You know, they're both part of a process of growth. And we don't panic when pain comes along. We say, fine. Let me try and understand this. Let me try and work with this. Let me work through it and be confident that it won't last forever. You know, life cannot only be painful. It will lead to learning and will lead to joy and will for sure help us to grow. Mm, exactly. Because, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. And yeah. this year for me, has been one of the most difficult years I've had in a very long time. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I have had some of the most amazing things happen for me in my, in my coaching world, uh, my podcast. I've got so many amazing things going on. And it really made me think, you know, wow, like this is, this is, this is real. And you can have it both ways. Mm -hmm. And that's what's been so astonishing to me is that when you do the work and you you go through some of the pain, the pain and the layers, right? It's all about, and I've been on this journey for thirty two over 32 years now, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's amazing to me that things still come up because we're yeah. always going to be learning and growing. But my point is, is that I went through so much emotional baggage this year and at the same time some of the most amazing things that have ever happened in my life are happening this year yeah and you can wow. have it both ways yeah. and and let me tell you 
I, I allow myself that and I, I do, I meditate, I do this and that and I move on and I have a great day and I'm happy every single day of my mm-hmm. life. I'm not happy every minute of every hour of every day. <laughs> That's not possible. But I can, I can honestly look back and say, yeah, this year has been one of the most challenging years I've had in a very long time, but it's also been one of the most amazing years and I've been happy the entire time and yeah. it is possible. Sandy, you know, in um, Chinese, there is a beautiful saying. Um, the Chinese is, which means in English, you would translate it as, he, the greatest of men is he that has tasted the most bitter. And it's this idea that greatness only comes from tasting the bitter and experiencing pain because that comes the greatest growth. And actually, I just thought it would be really useful, especially for your listeners, to just reflect for a moment that growth isn't random. You know, growth has to also have a direction and a purpose. Otherwise, it's like a tree that's just growing wild. You know, it just grows in every direction, and it's not particularly beautiful. But if it's tended by a loving gardener and is looked after and disciplined, then it can become the most beautiful tree in the garden. And I think when we talk about growth and we talk about our own growth as human beings, we should also reflect on where am I growing to? And what is the discipline or what are the disciplines that will help me to grow to the place that I want to grow to, to become what I was created to be and to fulfill my highest potential? In, In the spiritual or religious language, it's to grow towards God, right? To get closer to our beloved. Um, And I think that's the purposeful growth that becomes the higher calling than just growing for the sake of growing, because actually that doesn't always solve our problems. You know, it's really important to know, you know, not only where we're going to, but where we're growing to, and to have a sense of the disciplines that are required, whether that's for some people, prayer or meditation, um, taking time in nature, serving other people, you know, and bringing joy to others. Each, any of those and many other disciplines are really important so that we do grow towards that beauty that is beauty with a capital B. You know, uh. that God, that God, that divinity, that essence of all all things and that's the love i think that pulls us towards it you know love is the attractive force that actually enables us to grow kind of like the sunshine that enables the plant to grow it gives it a direction to grow too right yeah that's that's a great analogy yeah so there's no such thing as growth without pain but there's definitely also no such thing as growth without love Mm. Very well said. With that, is there anything else that you'd want to share with the listeners before we finish up? Well, I'd be honored if listeners would like to buy the book and read it because I think you will each find something, you know, whether it's every chapter or just one chapter. You know, maybe it's the chapter on selflessness or the chapter on happiness that resonates the most. And I hope that these chapters will will be tools 
you know, in your backpack as you climb your own mountains. Um, and I, I really hope actually to to be able to continue a conversation, you know, as we're having today, but with with people who read the book, I hope it's not just a transactional thing. I read this book, it was inspiring. I hope it can become something that then translates into action. That would really thrill me and make me feel that all of this pain, all of the grief, all of the suffering bore fruit. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And and I always tell my listeners, like, find one thing that you can take action right now, today, mm -hmm. from what you've heard out of this conversation. Because there's every single episode and every single interview that I do, there's always some sort of nugget that people can, can take. And I think we gave people several ones today. So thank you so much, Adam. I really appreciate your time and your message and the work you're doing. And it's, it's definitely something that needs to get out there. So thank you. Likewise, Sandy. Thank you. Thank you for all that you're doing. And thank you again for inviting me to join your podcast today. Absolutely. It's been a great conversation. Thank you, Adam. I certainly hope that you enjoyed today's interview. Thank you so much for joining me. And as always, I hope that you and your family are healthy and safe and that your lives are filled with peace, joy, and happiness. Take care, everyone.